are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Proverbs chapter number 24, please, in your Bibles. And what an honor it is to be in this place. And I want to thank Brother Treber and the North Valley Baptist Church. There's no way a king can be treated any better than we have been taken care of. And what a blessing that is. You may be wondering how I feel. If you were to crank up a go-kart and pull it out on the last lap of the Daytona 500, right out there in the middle, that's about how I feel uh, preaching with these men of God. Uh, But I'll tell you what, I am so grateful for this honor and privilege to get to be here. And uh, I can't wait till tonight to hear one of my favorite preachers, Joel Osteen. Man, I am excited. And uh, I'm trying to make him mad so he'll preach tonight. But little after I got the call, at first when I heard the voicemail from Brother Luke Flood, uh, asking me to come. I listened to it again, and I called him. I said, man, was that, I thought, is that a prank? And uh, he said, has Tim Treber been pranking you too? He prank calls here all the time. And uh, so anyway, uh, my phone rang shortly after that on a Sunday afternoon, and I looked at it and it said Tony Hudson on it. And so I answered, and he said, man, I saw you're going to California. How about the Treber hear about you? And uh, I said, man, I feel the same way. I said, I don't know what I'm going to be doing there, but I'm happier than Bernie Sanders in the Soviet Union to be there. So anyway... I am so grateful and thankful for this place. Uh, this is the first time this trip that I've got to be in this building for 16 years. The last time I was here, this was just a, shield, a steel uh, framework here, just a shell of a building. And some of us college guys would come over on these steps, just concrete here, and we'd sing early in the morning before the sun came up, come in here and pray, and uh, more to see what it looks like now and what God is doing here is just amazing. And I'm thankful for it. And I agree with Brother Johnson. What a joy uh, to see that the dress standards are the same, the music's the same, the spirit's the same 16 years later. And I believe it'll be that way till the Lord comes back, and I'm excited about that. But this is a huge opportunity and a great, incredible, uh, huge blessing for me to get to be here. I feel kind of like the blind man in Texas that got on a bus, and uh, he sat down, he reached out and felt the armrests. He said, man, this is the biggest seat I've ever sat in in my life. And uh, the guy beside him said, well, of course, man, you're in Texas. Everything's bigger in Texas. And uh, so they drove for a while, and then they stopped at a a hotel that had a restaurant connected to it. And uh, so he got off the bus, and somebody helped him in. He sat down in the restaurant, and he ordered a drink, and they brought it out. And, uh, man, it was the biggest mug he'd ever had in his hands. And he put both hands on that thing, and uh, he told the waiter, he said, that's the biggest mug I've ever held in my hands. And the waiter said, well, of course, you're in Texas. Everything's bigger in Texas. And so he uh, told the waiter, he said, well, I'll tell you what, he said, uh, I'm not trying to be crude or anything, but after I drink this down, I'm going to have to answer Mother Nature's call. Can you tell me uh, where the men's room is? And the waiter said, yeah, just get up and feel your way around the corner there, uh, to the wall there, feel your way around the corner. It's the first door on your right is the restroom. And so he drank that thing down in a few minutes. Sure enough, buddy, Mother Nature was calling. So he got up and felt his way to the wall. He felt his way around the corner, but he missed the first door and got the second door. And that was the door that led to the swimming pool. And man, as soon as he opened the door, he stepped in there and just went right under, sank like a rock. When he came back up, he started waving his arms and hollering, don't flush, don't flush. <laughs> so everything was bigger in Texas, but I, this is a big opportunity and a huge blessing and honor for me to get to be here today. Proverbs fourteen thirty four: righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Heavenly Father, I stand where I need you so desperately. Lord, I always need you, but 
especially to stand before men of God that are far more qualified than me, far, have been in the ministry far longer than I've been alive, many of them. What an honor and a privilege to stand in this place. And Lord, I acknowledge that I'm nothing. I can't do anything without you. And Lord, I yield and surrender to you the best I know how. I pray you'll give me boldness and courage to say everything that you would have for me to say. And dear Lord, I just pray that you will please fill me with your spirit and your power today. Lord, use me to, to be a blessing, to be a help. I pray most of all that I'll glorify you. And then I pray that I'll be a challenge to your people today. Our nation needs help. Lord, we're in a mess and we need help, but I believe that we have the answer today. And so I pray that you'll use this message in a great way, Lord, and empty me of self, empty me of sin, and fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Righteousness exalted the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. I thank God for some things that have happened in our nation in the last few years, especially when you consider what it could have been, what the alternative could have been. I'm grateful for a strength and commitment to God's people Israel, and they are God's people Israel. I don't care what Ilhan Omar says or any of that. They are God's people. And if we want God's blessings on our nation, we better stand by God's people Israel. I'm grateful for that. And the economy seems to be doing better, but uh, the Bible doesn't say that an economy, a good economy, exalted the nation. It says righteousness exalted a nation. And the truth is, we'd have to admit today that when it comes to the area of righteousness, we're morally bankrupt in our nation. I'd like to speak to you on the subject this morning, what we can do when our country is in chaos. And you say, well, what do you mean we're in chaos? We've been doing better than we have in a long time. It's true that some policies we're grateful for, but when you consider the fact that the leading cause of death every day in America, far more than heart disease, far more than stroke, far more than drugs, far more than alcohol, far more than uh, car accidents, far more than uh, gun violence, far more than suicide, and all of these things, by far the leading cause of death in our nation is for the shedding of innocent blood, for young babies to be murdered in their mother's womb. Over 2,000 a day. When we consider that, we have to say our country is in chaos. When we consider the fact that a man can now marry a man legally, and a woman can marry a woman legally, and even just to, up until a couple of days ago, a leading presidential contender would kiss his husband on stage all across our land and even be invited to speak in the pulpit of a Baptist church in South Carolina. Our country is in chaos. Whenever you consider the fact that one of the leading contenders of our nation, one of the front runners in a political party is a, is a socialist, which is nothing but a mask that a communist wears, and you see young people standing behind him by the thousands, and they're just absolutely and completely lapping it up because they've been taught in our school system that that's a wonderful way of government and capitalism is evil, our country is in chaos. When you take your child to the doctor and you see that on the registration paper there's 13 genders and you want, they want you to check one of 13 genders or other if you identify as something besides that, our nation is in chaos. Whenever you consider the fact that there are some young males that can't compete, they're not good enough to compete in men's sports, and so they decide to dress up like a girl and try to look like a girl and claim to be a girl so that way they can compete and try to win something and call themselves transgender and they are celebrated, our country is in chaos. Whenever in our libraries, kindergarten kids and elementary school kids can have a drag queen story hour, but a preacher shows up to protest it and he gets arrested in Spokane, Washington, our country is in chaos. Whenever our schools will not allow the Bible, but they'll teach Islam and sex education and the LGBTQ, HIV, AIDS agenda, the truth is our country is in chaos. 
And if we're not careful, what we'll allow to happen is some hopelessness to creep in. Some despair will creep in. And we'll think, well, what in the world can we do? I mean, is there anything that we can do? Our nation's on a slippery slope to hell. Is there anything that we can do in our nation? I'm happy to report to you today, there is hope for America today. And I'd like to speak to you on that subject, give you three areas today, that th three things that we can do when our country is in chaos. First of all, number one, we need to realize the cause. In Jeremiah chapter, or Judges chapter number 21, the most bizarre and probably one of the most chaotic times in Israel's history was in the book of the, book of the Judges. I mean, just some of the most unusual things happened. And the Bible sums up why that was in the last verse of the book. In Judges chapter 21 and verse 25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And I tell you, I see that going on in our country today. We're living in a time where the truth of Scripture has to take a back seat to the trends of society. We're talk, I'm talking about a time where even many preachers get their beliefs and their practices and their opinions from polls on social media instead of the power of the sacred manuscript of God's Word. We're living in a time when people do whatever feels good, whatever's right in their own eyes. It said there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And, you know, for the first 200 years or so of our nation's history, there was a king in Israel. It was this old King James Bible. And I know there was exceptions, but generally people acknowledged that was God's Word. If God's said it, they acknowledged we ought to be doing it. And if they just decided not to do it, they realized it was rebellion. But now we're living in a time where it's just whatever people feel like doing, they just do it. And they'll try to bring the Word of God around to fit whatever they want to do. And they become a king and a God unto themselves. I'm thinking now of a man that was my favorite preacher, at least one of my favorite preachers when I was a teenager. He just, a nationally known preacher, had a national ministry, and he decided he was going to go a different direction. And he made a statement to my brother-in-law who had him scheduled to preach until he found out what was going on. He made this, and by now his ministry is unrecognizable. It's just a heartbreaking thing to see. But he made this statement. He said, the world is always changing, and unless we change with it, then we're going to be left behind. And he wasn't talking about technology. I thank God I didn't have to come to hitch up the horse today in a horse and buggy. I'm glad I got to come in a car. I like being able to flip a, a light switch and be able to not have to strain to see my Bible by coal oil lamp. But that's not what he was talking about. He was talking about uh, trends. He was talking about culture. And he was saying if we don't change to adopt the things, basically become like the world to reach the world. The big buzzword, culturally relevant. That's what he was talking about. And it's true, the world is always changing. But there's somebody a lot greater than the world. And the one who made the world said, I am the Lord, I change not. So we've got a choice today. We can either move forward with the world and stay with the world and leave God behind, or we can stay back here with God and with this book and let the world move on without us. I don't know about you, but as a millennial today, I'm just going to stay with God. And I don't care about what, which way the world's going. Hey, they can go all they want to. The world's going to hell is where the world's going. I want to stay with the Lord. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse number 12 describes our generation. Guys my age and younger, it says there's a generation that are pure in their own eyes, and yet is not washed from their filthiness. Boy, they're right. Their nose is in the air so high they'd drown if it started raining. I mean, man, they think they got it figured out and everybody that won't, uh, won't agree with them, everybody that wants to hold to the old time way, everybody that wants to stay with Bible standards and Bible principles, they'll stay away from us like we got the coronavirus. I mean, man, they just don't want to have any part of it. But the truth of the matter is, and just like Brother Johnson said, I mean, they say, man, we're under grace. We're not under the law. We're under grace. And we are under grace. Thank God so much that we're saved by the amazing grace of God. But it's that grace that brings salvation, that teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly love and that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. 
We need to realize the cause today. There's no king in Israel. There's no king in America today because people have decided to become a God unto themselves. But number two, not only realize the cause, we need to recognize the cure. There is a cure for it. If you'll turn back to a passage that most of you could quote with your eyes closed, if somebody woke you up in, at 2 o'clock in the morning, you could quote this verse. But it's a familiar one. But if you'll turn with me over to 2 Chronicles chapter number 7. We see the cure right here in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. This is a recipe for revival. 2 Chronicles chapter number 7 and verse number 14. I want us to look at just a couple of things about this verse. And I believe with all my heart that this is the cure. We ought to vote. We ought to try to get everybody to vote right. We ought to educate people on what the candidates stand for. But the truth of the matter is, I don't believe America's going to be saved by politics. I think we ought to preach about politics. People are terrified to mention it. But the truth is, I believe what we're going to see right here is the cure for the chaos in America. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse number 14. First of all, notice here there's a called out group. If my people, which are called by my name. I don't find a promise to the Republican Party in the Bible. I don't find a promise to the National Rifle Association in the Bible. I'm for these things. But I, what I do find is a promise to God's people. If my people, which are called by my name, he says here. This is talking about God's people. Did you know that God always deals with his people first? We talk about, man, I wish God would send fire and just burn up these politicians. I wish God would just send a fire and burn up all these wicked perverts. But did you know what? God in the Bible always judged his people first before he judged the world. And here's an example. God used Assyria, a wicked kingdom to come and chastise his people Israel and judge his people Israel, then he dealt with Assyria later. God brought Babylon. In fact, he called Nebuchadnezzar my servant. And God used Babylon to come and judge Judah, and then he dealt with Babylon later. God is looking at his people tonight. The Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 9 and verse number 4, And the Lord said unto him, this is when he was about to destroy Judah, and the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And to the others he said in mine hearing, Go ye after him through the city, and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have ye pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women. But come not near my, any man upon whom is, my mar is the mark. Notice, and begin at my sanctuary. That's exactly what he said, begin at my sanctuary. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17 says, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. God is looking at his people. And why is that? Because to whom much is given, of him shall be much required. We can't expect that lost world to know the right way. They never have been raised in an independent fundamental Baptist church. They don't know the word of God, but we do. And whenever somebody that knows the word of God decides to abandon the word of God and go the same way of the lost heathen world, God says, I'm going to have to judge you because you knew better. They didn't know better, but you did. Hey, it takes a called out group. Secondly, it takes a casting down of ourselves. He says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. Well, I'll tell you what, we are living in a proud generation, aren't we? Paul told Timothy in the last days, perilous times would come, men shall be lovers of their own selves. We're living in that day. Most popular kind of phone is an iPhone. And what about an iPad? I mean, the most popular kind of picture today is a selfie. I mean, let's just be honest about it. Get down where everybody lives. Social media is 99%. Look at me. Look what I'm wearing today. Look what I'm doing today. Look where I'm going today. And man, here's all these people showing off their new outfit. And I mean, it's just all about pride. It's all about pride. And, and, and the thing is, God cannot stand pride because he knows what we are. 
The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 57 and verse number 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Hey, we can forget about revival if we're walking around with our nose in the air. We can forget about revival if we start thinking we're something. We better humble ourselves before God and say, God, I'm nothing but a zero with the ring rubbed out. I'm nothing but dirt. I'm nothing but a sinner that was on his way to hell. And you reached down and you grabbed me and you saved my soul and put me on the road to heaven. And God, I owe it all to you, Lord. You're the only one that deserves anything. We better humble ourselves and God will never bless pride. You know, we talk about the sin of perversion in Sodom, and we talk about God destroyed Sodom for their homosexuality. The truth of the matter is what led them to that perversion. If you read in the book of Ezekiel, it said the number one sin that was found in Sodom was pride. Pride. That's what led to it. Somebody said at the crime scene of every sin, you will find the fingerprints of pride. James 4, 6 says, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. 1 Peter 5, verse 6 says, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace unto the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. I'll tell you what, it's a lot easier for us to humble ourselves than it is when God has to humble us. And he knows how to do it, believe me. I've had my share of it. First time I ever baptized... Had a teenage boy there in the baptistry. I got him too close to the step. And man, I put him under the water real fast and banged his head, whacked his head on that step. You could hear it in the back of the auditorium. I could just see the papers. Local preacher kills teen in baptistry. I mean, man, it was, God had to humble me. I pastored in Kentucky for five years and as a church the building was over 100 years old and an old brick building had holes in it. You probably could have brought a dinosaur in that place. <laughs> but I was preaching. I first got there and while I was preaching, I noticed some ladies were talking while I was preaching. I thought, man, that's disrespectful. I found out after church there was two bats flying back and forth in the baptistry while I was preaching, just back and forth. And uh, I'd see them different times in there. The last service I was there, there was a lady standing up there to sing. She had a long uh, jean jumper on, had her hair all done up on top of her head. And uh, stand up there with tennis shoes, just a country lady. I know y'all wouldn't allow that here, but man, where we were at, I mean, that was what everybody wore. If I wore this, man, they wouldn't even listen to me while I was soul winning. But uh, anyway, she was standing up there singing, and all of a sudden, I don't even know where it came from, but this great winged fowl. I mean, I was looking to see if it had a white head. I thought it might have been a bald eagle or something. I mean, here it came, just swooping around the auditorium. Biggest bat I've ever seen in my life. I mean, try to be proud, pastoring a place like that. And uh, good people there, great people there. And I loved them so much, but I tell you, we were needing a new building awful bad. I was preaching uh, right in the middle. I was preaching. All of a sudden, a cat came out. I don't even know. Just came out on the platform, just walked there. It came back down the right side there, kind of where Brother Tony's sitting, and it walked back. My wife grabbed it and took it outside and, and trying to help me while I was preaching. And uh, so I preached for a while longer. All of a sudden, here it came back in again. This time, she let it alone, and it went, about, it went around to the back of the auditorium, and it started going down underneath the pews from the back all the way down. You could tell where it was at because every pew it would come to, the person would jump, you know. I mean, Ray Stevens, Mississippi Squirrel didn't have nothing on us, buddy. We, there was a spirit in there, but I don't know about the Holy Spirit. But I'm telling you something, God hates pride. And when God's looking for somebody to use, he's not looking for somebody that thinks they're hot snot on a gold platter. He's looking for somebody that knows we're nothing but a cold booger on a paper plate. I mean, buddy, we're nothing without God. We need the Lord to do anything. We can't take a step without him. We can't say a word without him. We can't take another breath without the Lord. And God hates pride. It takes a, a called out group. It takes a casting down of ourselves. And then it takes a calling on God. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. 
I'm not talking about rub-a-dub-dub, thank you for the grub. I'm not talking about now, lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, give my shotgun to Uncle Jake. I'm talking about real, earnest prayer. I'm talking about going somewhere with tears rolling down our cheeks and thinking, oh God, today some 2,000 babies will be murdered in our nation. God, today there's sodomites running around our land and being paraded and they're being championed. Oh God, we need your help, Lord, for our children's sake. I want my children to grow up in the kind of nation I've had. God, would you have mercy? on our nation. When's the last time you found somewhere on your knees and just wept and prayed for America? Oh, our nation was founded on prayer. George Washington fighting for our independence in the snow at Valley Forge prayed. Benjamin Franklin, whenever the drafters of the Constitution couldn't get anywhere, he rose up as an 80-something-year-old man and said, gentlemen, I've lived a long time and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see that God governs in the affairs of man. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? He said, I propose that from now on we begin every day with prayer. And that's exactly what they did. They met different places and they prayed and they prayed and it long before that thing came together and it stands today besides the Bible is the greatest document that man uh, man didn't write the Bible but it's the greatest document that man has ever written oh listen today we need prayer Abraham prayed for Sodom and interceded and he talked God down from 50 to 10 looking for a remnant some preachers believe that God would have spared it just outright if Abraham had kept on going because he was interceding Moses prayed for Israel somebody said if Moses and God had ever got on a, in a killing mood at the same time there'd be no nation of Israel today but Moses fell on his face and said oh God this is your people Lord you want to wipe them out but what are the heathen going to say God this these people bear your name Lord please spare this nation Daniel prayed you read Daniel chapter 9 and Daniel put on sackcloth and ashes and he wept and he prayed for his country oh we got to pray for America if we don't pray for America listen we don't have any right to complain whenever we get the politicians that we don't want we don't have any right to complain about how things are going we got to get on our knees and get back to having a prayer time for our nation Oh, listen, it takes, a, it takes a called out group. It takes a casting down of ourselves. It takes a calling on God. And there's a lot of people that say amen to all that, but it takes a complete turnaround. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. You know, the problem is, though, a lot of our people don't even see their ways as wicked. They've been taught to believe that, hey, I seen somebody else doing it on Facebook. It must be all right. I know some preacher that does it. It must be okay. And they've decided, as we said, just to make everything about what they think is all right instead of what God says in his holy word. And that's where it's our job as men of God to stand up and to tell them the truth about it and to say, hey, you know what you, know, what you better believe here is the fact that it doesn't matter what your opinion is. It doesn't matter what your Facebook friends say. It doesn't matter what somebody else on Twitter says. What matters is what God Almighty says and your ways are wicked. That's what the, that's what the prophets of old did. They got up and told them about it. I thank God for my heritage. My papa was raised in Jamestown, Tennessee. You may have seen the old black and white movie, Sergeant York. He knew him, ate in his home. He dated one of his daughters. And uh, he, he was very poor, dirt poor. And he had to drop out of school. He, he was one of uh, 13 kids. Only had one pair of overalls to his name. And, uh, but he had to drop out of school when he was in fourth grade to help his dad in the Logwoods. But I'm telling you, that was a man of God. God called him. And he started a church. He was a construction worker. Never was full-time at the church. I don't even know if he took anything from the church. He was a construction worker and worked on the Ohio River on the Candleton Locks and Dam. He started a church in his trailer there. And God raised up a mighty work there. 
And nobody would ever know about my papa, but he would stand up and preach so hard that he would gasp for breath so hard and so fast. And he would see hardened construction workers, men of God, or, or men that were ungodly men, become men of God. And they would come to those altars and the Holy Spirit of God would get a hold of them as that uneducated man who still to this day can just barely read, still to this day could barely write you an introduction to a book if he were to sign a book for you. But still to this day, he's a man of God. And he passed through the same church over 50 years till he had a stroke and couldn't preach anymore oh man back in the day he would when the Beatles were big he'd preach against the beagles I don't know if he's combining beetles and eagles I mean I don't know but he would preach so hard against the beagles there was guys giving up their rabbit hunting dogs he got up there and preach against beagles <laughs> not really but uh, man he preached hard on sin and I thank God for it I told him in the session about my dad I used to think my dad had more standards than God but I thank God for every one of them now what a man of God. I've seen my dad preach stuff that was about as popular as Donald Trump at the Democrat National Convention. I mean, he's got up and preached it where it was so quiet you could have heard a pin drop. And I was about scared to say amen myself, to be honest with you. But hey, he didn't back down. He just kept on preaching the Word of God. And I'm thankful for him. That's my heritage. He raised us on the front row of the Sugar Grove Bible Baptist Church. Brother Tony's preached there. Five miles outside the big city of Fordsville, Kentucky. 500 people. And we'd sit there on that front row. And our pastor, Brother Eddie Calloway, another man, a man of God, he, he never preached on a national platform anywhere. Pastored the same church over 40 years. But he'd stand up there to preach. He never would leave the pulpit. He said, I found what I'm looking for right here. But he'd stand there behind that pulpit, and man, he'd thunder out against sin. And his neck, would, his neck would disappear while he was preaching. His suit coat would come up like this. And his face would turn as red as the stripe in that American flag. And he would thunder out against sin. And buddy, we're sitting on the front row eating it up like an In-N-Out burger. I said, thank God, man. Thank God for a man of God that still tells it like it is. Sometimes the devil would get on him. We'd see him after church. And man, he was down. And he knew God called him to preach it. But he was down about it and thought, we're gonna we may lose some people over it. But we'd go up to him as just boys. We'd say, Brother Eddie, you keep that up. That's what we need to hear. Thank God for a man that preaches the truth of God's word. And then whenever I was into my mid-teens, we moved to the Marion Avenue Baptist Church where I had a kind of a soft-spoken, mealy-mouthed pastor named Larry Brown. If he wasn't walking on the backs of the pews, he's busting a TV with an ax. And those of you that know Brother Brown know how sarcastic I'm being about him being soft-spoken. Hey, that's my heritage. I'm not ashamed of it. Somebody's not worth spit if they take that kind of a heritage and throw it away and say, hey... You know, all those years of all that kind of stuff they were preaching. Hey, let's just do away with all that kind of stuff. We can reach more people if we'll just drop the standards. We can reach more people if we can just forget about all that. Hey, that was good for them back in that day, but it doesn't matter for us today. I just want to stand here as a young man and say, hey, it was good for my papa. It was good for my dad. It was good for Eddie Calloway. It was good for Larry Brown. It's good for God, and it's good enough for me today. I'm talking about preaching the Word of God. God doesn't need people to give philosophy. He needs people to preach. God doesn't need people to share. He needs people to preach. He said in Isaiah, cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet. He didn't say to, he didn't say to discuss like a flute. He didn't say to share like a clarinet. He said preach like a trumpet. Hey, listen, it's not philosophy that's going to save America. It's not discussion that's going to save America. It's not small group roundtables that's going to save America. It's an old-fashioned man of God taking an old black book and rearing back and preaching the Holy Word of God. And that's what's going to save America today.
Oh, listen, young preachers are here today, you college guys. Man, I'm excited just to think about those guys that were in the choir, what God's going to do with them. But oh, I'm here to tell you something. Just stand back and preach the Word of God. Rear back and open the Word of God and just let her fly. Don't, if you have to, just delete social media. That's what I did. I can't stand to look at that stuff. Hey, listen, it doesn't matter what they have to say about it. God says preach the Word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Two-thirds of that is negative. People say, man, we need to just preach all this positive stuff, make everybody feel good, and I mean, just make everybody want to come back and all that. I'm not about to try to change just to get a few more people to come to church. Hey, the truth of the matter is that we need some people to preach the Word of God. Younger preachers, just preach. Well, I love the third and fourth graders, those notes they wrote us. Man, I tell you, that touched my heart. I laughed some. I, one, one, I don't know who it was, but he wrote in there, he said, I hope you know if you die today, you go to heaven. He said, if not, I'll be sitting on the back row. And uh, so I, I guess I need to go see him after we're done. But uh, anyway, there was one, one little boy, though, a third grader. And uh, he wrote in there, he said, what I would say to you is don't ever give up preaching. He said, here's a third grader that wants to be a preacher. He said, can you guide me to be a preacher? Hey, listen, I don't know. Some of them said they would be here. I don't know. Are they here? Third and fourth grade? No, they're not here. Okay. Well, anyway, tell him I told about him anyway. Aaron is his name. And uh, third grade. And uh, anyway, but... Oh, listen, the truth is, there's no higher calling than being a preacher of the Word of God. No higher calling in this world. Oh, listen, some of you uh, preachers that have snow on the roof, but there's still a fire in the fireplace, and I'm being very respectful. Listen, could you please, I would never be so presumptuous as to try to tell you to do anything. You've been serving God longer than I've been alive. But I'm here to tell you today, I mean this from my heart, please, please keep going for the Lord. The pressure is, uh, it's unbelievable. And people tend to look at those men and say, oh, that's, that was good back in your day, but this is a new day. Listen, I'm saying it for my day. It's still good. Please keep on going. You're not, an arch you're not some kind of antique. You're not some kind of a relic. You're not some kind of an old museum exhibit. You're a hero of the faith. Keep on going for the, for the Lord. I think about Lewis Arnold. He was an evangelist. He preached on his 100th birthday. Somebody asked him, said, hey, when are you going to retire? He said, I just bought four new ones the other day. That's what I'm talking about. Caleb, at 85 years old, Caleb said, hey, Hey, Joshua, give me this mountain, man. I'm just getting warmed up. Give me this mountain. Oh, some of you men of God, you may be thinking about going to get in that condo in Florida. Could I plead with you as a 30-something-year-old preacher? Could you put it off a little bit and stay in that pulpit for a little bit longer? Hey, we need you. We need your wisdom. We need your power of God that you have. You're a hero to me. You're a hero of the faith. Please keep on going and telling it like it is. Hey, we need to preach against sin. I'm not just talking about generic either. I mean, anybody can get up and say, hey, we need to stop your sinning. That doesn't do anybody any good. We've got to name the sins. We've got to tell them what they're doing. Hey, show my people their transgression, God told Isaiah. I mean, and it's easy for me to preach against things that are going on in California whenever I'm in Tennessee. But we've got to preach against sodomites in San Francisco. We've got, to preach against, uh, we've got to preach against country music in Nashville. We got to preach against smoking in Winston-Salem. We got to preach against beer in Milwaukee. We got to preach against bikinis in Alaska. I mean, we just got to preach where it's going on, buddy. Preach it where it's going on. Oh, listen, hey, it's still, what, what was ever wrong is still wrong. It's still wrong for a lady to dress in man's apparel. It's still wrong for a man to dress in ladies' apparel. It's still wrong for a woman not to dress in modest apparel and for a lady to wear something that looks like she got it out of her six-year-old daughter's closet. That's still wrong. Hey, it's still wrong. Let me tell you, can I say this to you? It's still wrong for a lady, even on the beach, or a man, either one, to wear not enough clothes on to make a turban for a Muslim cockroach. That's still wrong, and we ought to just realize it. Do you know drink, drinking alcohol is still wrong? 
I can't believe how many independent Baptists will stand up and teach people that came out of drunkards' lives and people whose homes were about wrecked and destroyed because of alcohol, that it's okay as long as you don't get drunk. You can social drink and you can take a little bit. Hey, they say, well, after all, even Jesus turned the water to wine. Can I just tell you something? You can prove that from the Word of God that that's not what happened there. Hey, he did turn the water to wine, but think about this. In the book of Proverbs, it says wine is a mocker. In John chapter number one, it says in the beginning was the word, Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So if wine is a mocker, and if Jesus is God, and both of those things are true, and the Bible says God is not mocked, if Jesus is God and he changed the water to intoxicating wine, God would be mocked. Hey, compare scripture with scripture. I can't understand somebody that would try to turn someone astray that's got, come out of a drunkard's life and say it's okay. But they're going to have to answer to God for that someday. It's still wrong. If, it's ever, if it was ever wrong, it still is. So when, what can we do when our country's in chaos? Realize the cause. Recognize the cure. But thank God, number three, at the end of the day, realize who's in control. Hey, I think we ought to vote. I thank God that we have the opportunity and the freedom to vote. The Bible says in Exodus 15, 18, though the Lord shall reign forever and ever. We ought to love our country. We ought to pray for our country. We ought to fight for our country. Be willing to lay down our lives for our country if need be. But at the end of the day, there's somebody that's a lot more powerful than the president. There's somebody a lot more powerful than the Supreme Court. There's somebody a lot more powerful than the House or the Senate. And the truth is that he's still on the throne and he'll always be on the throne. And John the Revelator gave us a little bit of a glimpse of him. He saw who I'm talking about in Revelation 19 when he said, I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I'm here to tell you today we serve somebody who doesn't lay awake at night nibbling his fingernails. He's not worried about what's going to happen and yet he stays awake all night watching us. He never slumbers nor sleeps. We serve somebody that never trembles before any man and yet the world trembles in awe of him. We serve somebody tonight that will never go on an apology tour and bow down to anybody and yet at his name every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hey, listen, our country may be in chaos, but our Christ is in control. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Run one more bus route because he's in control. Preach one more message. He's in control. Teach one more Sunday school class. He's in control. Give one more tithe. He's in control. And one day he's coming back to get us. Love him, serve him, stand for him, and it will be worth it all when we see him. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.